Welcome, everybody. It's the Monitor Keeping Podcast, and I'm Alan Steven. We're here uh, for another session. It's going to be our 17th episode today. Um, also, kind of interesting is that we are now current on these episodes. Kai and I went at it hard, and we were able to record, you know, multiple episodes in advance, and we have uh, dwindled away on our little stockpile. So, I think it's kind of cool because the information that you'll be hearing from this point on is is current. What's going on right now this week? Um, so it should be some good stuff. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, as we get started, I just want to say thank you uh, to Eric over at NPR. And uh, if you guys don't know NPR, it's Morelia Python Radio Network. Um, go ahead, check out their website. You can find them at MoreliaPythonRadio.com or .net and go ahead look at all the podcasts they have on there. They just added one more, I believe. Uh, so if there's anybody out there that likes uh, Color Brits, it's a new one coming up. Um, there's some existing podcasts out there. There's some great topics that get covered from species specifics, where, of course, you have Moralia, monitors, and the like, but also history of uh, pediculture, talking to different people that have been around in these different podcasts. Um and a lot of them span, you know, not only whatever you're into, but just it, I find it fascinating, the history of how these things came to be. And sometimes a person you didn't even know that works maybe with chameleons had a hand to play in uh, something else down the road. So um, I'm a big fan of it. If, if you know, you have time, a commute and you want to check out different podcasts, pick one on there. Uh, give it a listen. There's a lot of great hosts. And uh, we'll cover more of those in, in topic towards the end of the podcast. But Kai, how you doing? Hey, man, surviving, surviving. No, I'm actually doing. I'm actually doing really well. Kind of like, uh, I mean, I haven't really. I, I post about it a lot, but you know, I haven't really said a, a ton as far as, um, uh, I guess, exactly how I feel, but. Um, as far as everything with monitor wise, Kimberly's and mangrove stuff, uh, stuff is looking, looking on the up and up. Um, yeah. you know, I guess last year I failed pretty bad with some of the Kimberly stuff, just as the learning curve goes, um, you know, uh, probably killed a good two to three clutches, give or take. And I almost gave up, almost <laughs> gave up and got different animals, different adults, and basically uh, going at it again, this time with better support, better understanding of the animals. Um, and also practicing my incubation methods and different different things. Now, um, you know, most most monitor eggs, I'm not going to lie, they're, they're not that difficult to incubate you know, compared to like chameleon eggs or something like that, right? They're not, yeah. they're not that difficult. But the dwarf monitor eggs can be pretty fragile. Um, and so... For myself, uh, it's been a real great accomplishment to be able to hatch out Kimberly Rock monitors and um, basically be able to work with and understand completely uh, of a species that I considered my dream dream pet lizard for however long, you know. And um, not gonna lie, I kind of have too many right now. I'm almost overwhelmed with how many clutches are are in and out and basically uh, hatching and being laid and ready to hat all that stuff like that. So yeah, man, I'm kind of in the thick of things. And then, you know, there's also the grasshopper stuff that is basically also keeping me engulfed in work as well. So um, yeah, man, 
I, I can't complain, you know. I'm just uh, really uh, laying it in there. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's I think it's really awesome. You know, it, I remember some of those conversations with you um, about Kim specifically and the wanting to give up, just give up and get out of it. Um, I'm glad you stuck through it too. And uh, for for all you guys listening out there, this is this is kind of how it the whole idea of this podcast began in the first place was um, Kai and I reaching out to each other talking about the frustrations and coming up with different ideas and maybe even just a little encouragement. And uh, you're absolutely right, man. Kim's are just, they're amazing. I mean, I, I think they're everybody's dream as far as uh, Odatria um, to some yeah. respect, you know, there, there's some outliers there. There's a lot of cool species, but I mean, what else, what else out there has some, uh, how would you even say it? To me, it's like this Superman pastel color palette with a zebra tail. Yeah, and, yeah. It's the red, the burgundy, the orange, right? That's just the, yeah. the typical tinges. But then there's the grays and that come in between, right? And those yeah. grays can, can look blue sometimes. Um, and then there's like a yellow undertoning and um yeah but the, the black lining and the white on like yeah the black and white almost zebra stripe like it's like uh yeah it's it's a it's an amazing uh species but um you know regarding another another dwarf monitor um which is uh why we're uh here today is uh tristis Varanus mm -hmm. Varanus tristis now there's a couple types um but uh, you know the, the the other highly desired one is is basically oh man can you hear me yeah um sorry there's a uh, the computer went dark but uh yeah just just making sure everything's right yeah but the other higher higher highly desired one is the the um I don't know there's there's many names to call it there's the black headed monitor the racehorse monitor um. But um, we know them as black-headed monitors typically here. Mm -hmm. um, I myself had had some when I was younger, um, quite a bit actually. Uh, I had like fourteen or something like that. Now I I bought a couple clutches straight off of Doug Price, yeah, and uh, wanted my ratios to be pretty high. Don't get me wrong, I kind of jumped into it, um, almost a little bit too 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 headstrong and. Ended up buying more animals than I really needed. Obviously, you probably only need like six animals, not fourteen. Um, so I ended up, you know, selling a bunch, figuring out what's what. I think I lost one. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, they're they're a they're a, a fast species. It was yeah. babies, man? They're just pew 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 all over, um, and they're solid still too. They're like bigger than the the Kimberleys, but fast as well. So. Mm -hmm. oh, man, I, I don't know. I just uh, I, I, I missed, I missed the opportunity to really work with them. I think I was just too immature, kind of young and dumb with with what I was having, you know. Yeah. Um, and basically raised them for a good year or so. I'd say maybe a year and a half ish, and then you know, right when it gets to the point of figuring out how to breed them or not, I, I kind of just gave up on them, and I ended up selling them, splitting them up. Getting rid of some. Some went to, I think, like a couple went to East Bay. Um, yeah, just ended up depleting what I had. Wasted the time and and uh, and the hype too, right? 
it was basically right. just hyped up for nothing and um yeah man i just uh i really wish i would have taken more more uh learning from them because i basically bought them before i bought any other dwarf monitors you know um at the oh, time, wow. yeah at the time like i've seen ackies and i've seen other stuff and don't get me wrong i was only like 17 18 at the time so pretty young you know but um mm -hmm. I, I i i like maybe had ackies come ended up basically flipping them selling them so they don't really stay for very long at all probably only just days or a week or something but the tristis i held on to and i should have really practiced with those at first rather than trying to practice with mangrove monitors or whatever else i was trying to practice with <laughs> in the later years you know what i mean right. um and uh yeah i could have learned a whole lot from them but you know i was just i was dumb about it and i ended up uh yeah i ended up wasting all that time and money and and uh, i still then didn't really understand all right now well, what to do you know just kind of heat them and feed them but um i, I mean i should have understood more like nesting and I, I knew to use like deep soil but i didn't know how to hook it up right you know yeah um, and the basking spot stuff i was using floodlights because that was the the now hip thing to do and getting a a temperature gun and i got a temperature gun with those guys because you know basically people were really adamant on using those that you know it was it was basically one of those things that's that's taught to you as a reptile keeper you know um get, get get yourself a temperature gun learn how to utilize it it's basically your best friend mm -hmm. and um yeah i ended up that's when i got my first temperature gun from pet boys and trying to figure out how to set their enclosure up right and man they hid and stayed hidden like 24 7 23 7 you know <laughs> yeah just they barely came out i threw in bugs in there i put food at the ends and i didn't really know how to set it up right i had them in like i had three neodosha cages right oh man yeah yeah so and they were the basic two by two by twos um with the the chondro <laughs> bar right so, <laughs> yeah I took out the chondral bar, put a cork bark in there. Now you can picture what my cage looks like, right? <laughs> and that's that was it. Maybe a couple logs that went up, and and really that was it. Um, I ended up having to like tape the edges because there was you know a, a tiny little seam that they can possibly get through because I ended yep. up losing one. Um, yeah, man, it was it was horrible setup. So. You know, if the setup was better, I probably would have enjoyed the lizards better. Yeah. Um, and I could have would have set it up things differently. And how I do things now, obviously, is much different than what I did back then. You know, and so, um, yeah, really, really wasted that that opportunity there. Um, Man, you yeah, know, it's yeah. funny. You, you talk about getting a clutch from – I got a clutch uh, back in the early 2000s from Doug Price also. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the time, my experience was with Ackies and, um, Gouldi, Flavies, and I'm trying to think of anything else that I had, or I came into possession of was, um, already sub adults or adults. So, um, and even my Ackies, when I acquired them, I never really started with like baby babies. I think they were at least two, maybe three months old when I when I had gotten them. Okay. So that was my experience. When I got this clutch from Doug, I think they were, you know, four weeks old or so. And um, I hadn't 
had I, I hadn't had that set of skills in me yet to care for babies that were so small. I remember getting them and like, wow, you know, uh, not realizing because I had at that point I had never seen fresh babies. I'd never hatched out my own and to yeah. see the size of them, you know, um, and now what I had for them was a four foot cattle trough and uh, we're yeah, talking, yeah. you know, yeah, right. we're talking five inch lizards or so. <laughs> right. Um, and so I, <coughs> excuse me, I uh, could also get away with the Yakis with um, jumping some crickets in there and feeding them every other day or so. Um, it was the, the only issue that I ever had with siblings or monitors eating another monitor was with baby yeah. Tristus and fully my fault. I might've spent like two days. We have hungry growing babies that need to eat every day, you know, and my own stupidity um, and uh, lack of experience at the time, I figured they were similar to my, my sub adults and adult other animals and man, I came in one day and there was a uh, there was the head and there was the tail and there was just an empty spine connecting the two. You know, just had the bones in there. And yeah. I I had never seen anything like that. I was like, these things are little savages, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I lost mine, right, Lance Payton was telling me, he's like, yeah, you one probably ate the other one. Yeah. Because um, I looked everywhere for it. But my house, the place I was living in at the time was... There was a ton of nooks and crannies. It could have went anywhere, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. But, I don't you know. know. Yeah, I don't know if it can fit in another baby's mouth, but oh, it's definitely in their natural history. I mean, um, so Tristus, you, we don't see a lot of them. Uh, for the listeners, listeners out there, it, it might be the first time you're actually really hearing about uh, Tristus or the the hooded goanna, black-headed goanna. Um, they, for whatever reason, they haven't ever really hit that that mainstream kind of like with the same mystique as the Kimberleys yeah. or Until everybody now. Else's Yeah, they're they're starting yeah. to. Yeah, they're and starting they, to extreme now. Yeah, they definitely have a place because um, one, they are the largest of the Odatria, the the dwarf monitors that we have mm -hmm. access to in the U.S. Uh, the largest being Glebopalwa. It tops out the. Um, the, the Glebo Palma. Mm -hmm. Palma. That's the very highly desired dwarf monitor. Oh man, so, they're, they're we awesome. don't have any here. No, <laughs> unfortunately, it would be cool if we, one day we we do get a, a crack at those because they are. Um, well, for go check them out if if you never heard about them before. Uh, you can look up the black palmed monitor. Um, they're really unique looking. They're really cool. They're kind of a mixture. They're their own thing. They're a mixture of different looks, and uh, they definitely get some good size on them. But uh, as far as in the U.S., the largest we have is the Tristus. Uh, so you're talking about a good, healthy-sized adult that um, it can give a good bite, too. I mean, if my yeah. male, my big guy, wasn't so friendly, you know, he could, <clears throat> if he wanted to lay into me and uh, get a hold of me, especially do that bulldog kind of bite, like some of the uh, the Odatria yeah. will sometimes. <laughs> yeah, they're a pretty solid looking animal when when you post your 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 adult males and stuff. Uh, pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty good. So I never raised mine to that size. You know, I only really had them a good year and a half ish, and so they were still pretty. Where they all kind of look female, look, you 
Oh um, yeah. They didn't have that bulbous look, that bulbous head look where, yeah, not, not at all. And then, you know, the looks of them, you know, there's, there's kind of different ones. Um, I think mm-hmm. not, not to say that they were exactly, um, the species that we're going to be talking about, but they're a little bit more reddish, like Varanus tristis orientalis, you know, um, a little yeah. bit more brownish, not exactly ending up with the black nominant head like like you would normally see in some of the not not in this there's not very many of them in america for sure but the ones if you were to look up like black-headed monitor from australia man they look way different almost oh man yeah almost just just the 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 tones alone it's like ours is ours ours are basically washed out somehow so yeah now um, the, I've seen some nice ones. I think I think we have with the line breeding, we can um, definitely enhance some colors. But man, if if you're talking about like the same the so there's this classic uh, picture in one of the books, um, yeah, where you have this animal and to describe it, it's jet black from the neck up to the head, and then it's jet black from the tail base, um, yeah. just above the tail base down. I mean. Yeah jet black and then in the middle all little freckles in between all that right it's like on this burnt orange background with uh the one i i recall has those uh like really bright gold ocelli or the the pattern in there on that burnt orange background and man yeah (laughs) i looked at that thing i was like man that is one of the most awesome lizards i've ever seen and uh and but you're right you know in, in the u.s we got a lot of different it's almost a washed out look to that compared yeah. to that we're talking i mean that can be said for a lot of lot of animals in the wild that you see just, when they're all heated up and ready to go they're just not as black they're they're, they're like a grayish brown you know right um yeah and so some people would consider not being one or the other um but yeah that's another thing and we've talked about this before with other species that um, where you cross different localities or different types of the same type of animal, um, yeah. then you basically don't end up with a pure type of locality and all that stuff like that. And then you have uh, problems down the line when someone wants wants to figure out how to breed them, figure out the genetics, figure out what's what, and try to you know basically have a more more. Uh, See, but there's there's also. There's also the fact that maybe we didn't even start with that same. I mean, we're talking about yeah. pictures in, in a magazine. Sure. They're the best of the best. Maybe right. the animals that we got started with were they they are what they are. And uh, they look like, you know, what we have access to. Because um, <clears throat> Tristis, I'm, they cover in a huge range in Australia. They're one of the most common types of monitors. Um so you got to imagine this huge continent and you can find Tristis in so many different places, so many different terrains and microhabitats um, that I, I've seen, I've seen wild caught animals or pictures of wild caught animals that look exactly like the stock we have here um, down to like the more maroon head, then into the black neck, kind of blackish dark gray neck. And uh, they look spot on what our stock is and what we have access to. And then, um, but then you, you start looking at more pictures of where they butt up with, we're talking Varanus tristis tristis, and then where they butt up 
into Varanus tristis orientalis, and then you go into the more Varanus tristis orientalis range, and you have <clears throat> smaller animals overall size, but the colors on some of these things are like this really yeah. nice light gold, light reds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's totally different than what we've ever had access to, uh, even for the the amount of the original orientalis that were here years and years ago. Um, and then I, I don't know about, uh, you guys, but I follow some of the, um, the Australian guys and the one, especially the ones that do wildlife photography and whatnot, uh, or they're just, um, they like to get out and field herb and some of the animals they take pictures of, or they catch, it's just like, well, I don't really know how to describe this one, but here's a cool looking Tristus. And one, who knows if it's even a Tristus? It, it, maybe it's more along the lines of like Scalaris or a, a type of tree monitor. But um, you know, it's there's such a variation out there in Australia. I think um, Tristus, because of their range, they pretty much probably rival the uh, the sand monitor, the the Gouldi family, as far as all the different looks and whatnot you could probably see and achieve out there. So. Um, but I'm, we're talking, we're talking over there, and we have what we have here. <laughs> right. So, now, now, how many do you have currently now? <clears throat> <coughs> Sorry. So I have um, 1.2 adults, and I have um, a holdback pair. Well, I, I would say they're they're now adults, um, and then I'm. Currently, just in the room next to me now, I'm raising a small group. Those are already, they already have homes they're going to. And then I have one uh, one more at the, the warehouse that <clears throat> was kind of just a, more of a struggling baby. Uh, doing fine now, but it took a little longer to grow. It should be about twice its size. And I'm not exactly sure what, uh, what the deal with that baby was, but... Uh, it got separated. It's now locked on. It's feeding well. I believe it's male, um, even though it's it's still pretty small. Um, but that that animal will probably just hang out with me. It, it'll be more of a pet. Um, <clears throat> if I find a no, I better be careful what I say. <laughs> um, but it'll probably hang out for a while. You know, I want to be able if if I'm. If I'm getting animals out there, I want people to be absolutely happy. No problem. Get those animals that are just, you know, bulletproof. Uh, this guy took a little more work. Um, and actually, we were just talking about that with Kim's too, Kai. Um, you know, you just have sometimes those animals, uh, they just need a little extra care. We, we expect yeah. sometimes monitors because of what they are to be so bulletproof. And a lot of times they are. Um, yeah. But every once in a while, you run into one that just needs a little more help. So uh, that would be this guy. So that's that's my Tristus um, group right now. I um, I am expecting another clutch here from one of my females, and uh, I'm gonna get that that holdback pair. Um, a little more size on them. I'm I'm feeding them pretty aggressively uh, right now. I just started, and they'll be in the mix here pretty soon. They're really really. Um, great looking animals but <clears throat> so everybody knows also tristis go through a a color change um 
So when they're babies, they start off, they have these like uh, almost bright kind of orangish red heads and kind of uh, a darker black and white kind of body. And as they grow, that black and white over even a month, two months, um, starts to turn into these really nice like pastel gray and blue colors with that uh, uh, reddish orange uh, color. They lighten up a whole lot from their baby colors. And I think that's where some of the confusion sometimes comes when people think they have um, Orientalis or um, they have possibly mixed babies. I don't think that's necessarily the case. It could be the case. But I think what is actually going on, just from raising a few now, is that they have this lighter color. I don't know if it's an adaptation for them and when they're younger for what they hide in and whatnot. But they definitely hit a point where... Um, and it's not necessarily tied to sexually mature animals because I can easily sex the ones that I have, but it's, it's more of just an age and size, in my opinion, that they, uh, they start to darken up and get those, uh, really classic, you know, colors on them. So mine are just there. They're knocking on that door. The, um, the other thing about the Tristus is, uh, they're easy to sex. The, the males have a spur cluster on the side um, that is unmistakable. Now, it's not that females won't have that spur cluster. Also, I, I have a female that has some pretty large spurs. But if you were just looking at her as like a one-off, you, you might it might give you some hesitation. But as soon as you put her next to the male, uh, there's no hesitation whatsoever. Males get a really nice broad head. Um broader neck overall body is just heftier uh then you go down to the spur clusters which are obviously there and um <clears throat> older well, i would say older once you get like a good two years on the animal i notice that the the tail uh starts to th really thicken up in the middle it's like this big reserve pocket in and uh it, it kind of looks like a lump in the tail in that mid uh, upper section. And, uh, I think what are some, of, there's some other animals out there that'll do that. I can't think of them off the top of my head. You don't really see it with the Ackies because of the, uh, the spiny tail, but, um, there's something I'm thinking of where I don't know. Do, do, do your Indicus do that at all? Do the males get that like lump in the tail? No, like you mean, hmm. no, I'll try to. So, if you're listening, and you want to check it out. I will. Uh, I'll get a picture and post it on the uh, on my Instagram about what I'm talking about. And um, <clears throat> I think older females can get it too. I've seen it in some some sand monitors. Um, it's kind of just this unique look. It almost looks odd when you first see it, um, but it's just really indicative of a, a male. When you have that male next to a female, they can be really easy to sex. And I think my holdback pair, they were about six months old, seven months old. And it was pretty unmistakable which one was which. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're great animals to work with. And I guess we'll get into uh, their care a little more, but how long, how old were yours, Kai, when you started, uh, uh, or how, how old did you get them to before getting out of the project? 
maybe only like a good year and a half and yeah. i didn't even witness anything because they stayed hidden so much i barely i barely even saw them so if anything uh, they, it was more of like empty cage syndrome and um i would throw in bugs and throw in pieces of uh meat at the entrance of the burrow and it'd be gone later so i didn't really see them um i forget who i sold them to but it was some some lady in san diego I think I sold it like a possible 1.2. It yeah. looked like it to me, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, man, they're, uh, I don't know. I, I, I will wish I was able to witness them more. I think they were not hot enough, not humid enough, essentially just uh, in their, in the cork burrow, you know what I mean? Maybe um, that's why, yeah. you know, maybe that's why they stayed hidden just um... – you know, back then we we <laughs> we were still figuring a lot of things out. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't really, you know, from a like a, an enclosure like that with a lamp outside compared to an an enclosed cage with the lamp inside, it's just much different. I'm even using that right now where I actually have two setups. Um, uh, one is kind of like more of a fail proof for the babies. I know it works. Um, yeah. The temperatures, the bulb, what it does, it makes them grow, shed well, all that, right? Um, and then I have, you know, then I have a glass one that I rigged up. And the glass one basically needs much more heat. Even within the same vicinity in the area in the room, they're, they're not holding or the glass one isn't holding as well as the wooden one. So, hmm. um, like, let's say I have to, I only use a 25-watt nano bulb in the 2 by 2 raise-up for the baby Kimberly's right but yeah. um, but the uh, glass one is a slightly smaller shorter cage and I actually have to use more wattage in it which is yeah so mm. yeah man it, it, the enclosures and everything now on how I do stuff and comparable to what I used to do is just like it's like night and day you know I was yeah like oh keeping, yeah keeping leopard geckos or something like that back in the days compared to compared to what we're doing now um yeah so i'm, I'm hoping that um I, I would say getting the the tristis and all that stuff like that and um what what it taught me was how to really be aware of dwarf monitors you know <laughs> yeah and, yeah yeah just the the whole escaping and all that stuff like that and uh that was I think a major part on why I did it um, end up hanging on to them so long. And then even getting the Kimberly's like that was a jump 10 years later, you know? Yeah. Um, where it's like, all right, like they're, they're your favorite species. You really like them, but I mean, are you adequate enough or do you have the ability to, to keep them and such like that? And so, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It was, it was just way different. And, um, yeah, I was even surprised that Doug Price even let me buy all those. You know, <laughs> I was just like, "Yeah, I'll take them all," and he's like, "All right," and you know, yeah, yeah, man, it was just, and I had a ton, a ton of babies, man, and I don't even know what I was, what I was really even wanting to do with them. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, uh, I had one have like this really nice reddish tone on his head. Like I really mm -hmm. wanted them, right? And it had like a, a tiny stripe, a little dorsal stripe right at right on the neck. Only only on the neck area though. Interesting. 
a dorsal dorsal stripe. I, I'm it, trying it to picture a, what it would look like. Super faint. It was more yeah. so like, yeah, it was just, um, but it stood out to me, and I was like, oh, this man, this this male is really pretty, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I ended up not. <clears throat> I ended up like not wanting to sell them because I remember the, I was telling the lady, and this was like on VNet or something like that, right? On Vrinus.net. Uh -huh. Oh yeah. And so, um, and uh, I remember telling her, I was like, you know, I think I'm gonna give you a refund. Um, I basically came back from wherever I was at, and I told her I was like, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if, I, if I'm ready to to really sell them yet, you know, because. I don't know. I was basically just back and forth with shit, you know, back and forth yeah. with, with essentially what I wanted to do with them. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I ended up, I ended up, I think she like, she was really set on them and also excited about them. And I was like, all right, I, you know, what am I going to really do with them at this point? Right. Mm -hmm. I couldn't hang on to them. And I was basically failing with monitors for how much ever long. So I basically just kept the money right rather than, rather than um returning it and then hanging on to the animals longer yeah. yeah man you do a lot of young and dumb stuff when you when you get monitors <laughs> at a young age you just you know some stuff is impulsive whether you want to admit oh, yeah. it or not you know some stuff is I got like, that. Oh, it's cool but and i can afford it but a lot of people can't even mentally keep stuff so. Maybe we'll do a uh, a mistake show and uh, we'll air it all out. Because what not to do, right? Done. How many times? And, uh, avoiding the pitfalls too. You know, just um, the ideas that kind of creep into your head sometimes. Um, yeah. yeah. About yeah. you know getting getting ahead of yourself and because uh, I did that with monitors too, and yeah. it set me back quite right. a lot. Um, I mean, what, what we're exactly talking about is like buying too many monitors, basically, mm -hmm. you know, more biting off more than you can chew, realizing like if you buy a bunch of small stuff, sure, it's small. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even talking about dwarf stuff. I'm talking about babies, baby monitors that get a good size, you know? Yeah. It's like anything that gets three to four foot plus. So um, basically that that's a that's a that's an a. If you're talking about an entertainment system in your house or a big uh, a big unit in your house, that's a big cage in your house. Mm -hmm. And so, if you want to have multiples of those, I often see many people buy monitors, ending up tapping out within the first year because everything has grown so well. I mean, they love the animals; they took care of them really well, but they outgrew them. the The animals right. outgrew the people, and you know, you end up pawning them off, selling them, neglecting them, whatever that, that comes into play when these animals basically outgrow somebody. And so, yeah, yeah. To get, to keep people from, you know, from that, it'd be to be wise to just really think about the future of the next several years for what you got. You know, That's a hard thing to do. And I think, yeah. you know, monitors um, lend themselves towards kind of the, the, the mindset of uh, social media glory. And, you know, back then we didn't even have social media uh, when we were doing some of that. It was, it was forums and whatnot, but because of what monitors are capable of, if they're supportive, you know, it's sometimes you get this idea and we all want to be successful, especially if your, your aspirations are to breed. Um, you want to be successful, but as a young kid, you know, sometimes that takes, 
uh, precedence over actually raising and providing for and going through the natural learning process with the animal to get there. And um, yeah, man, maybe we will, we will do that. I'm talking about it right now. I'm like, kind of that pain in the, in the stomach of all the, yeah. the it's all, it's, stuff it's all the stuff that makes you cringe, you know, yeah. like uh, keeping monitors in mesh cages or yeah. um, glass cages <laughs> or under, just, uh, I would say what I see a lot of people do, is underestimate the hell out of their monitor. Oh, yeah. Uh, underestimate their capabilities, their intelligence, um, how sneaky they are, uh, all that stuff. You know, they're just, I mean, for my yeah. for my animals, luckily now everything's in locked cages. But before, <laughs> I was, you know, they, they were able to slide the glass just, just by putting <laughs> their nails in there. You know, they can, they can wedge a finger and then just hook the other glass and, Yes. A monitor will slide a cage open just for people wondering. Uh, that's honestly, that's one of the reasons I went to, um, I like the door swinging doors, like exoteric cages. Um, and I like, um, well, I do use a few sliding glass things, but I have locks on the slide, like the jewelry case locks. Yeah. On the sliding glass the doors. Stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, I have walked in and there's an Aki sitting on the ground looking at me or uh, a Tegu or I've had a snake get its tail in there, you know, and I'm, I don't even know how it did it. But it slid that glass open because I looked at the cage and the glass is open. Um, <laughs> so I you ever, you ever have uh, like dwarf monitors slide through the glass? Oh, yeah. Or Tristis oh. or Oh, so I do not with babies. I do not use sliding glass. Okay. Um, Same. That middle part where the doors meet, you need to put some serious weather stripping something in there. Do yourself a favor because uh, imagine a, a monitor. If, if you're gone for half a day at work, at school, whatever you got to do, and it can get its nose, the, the you know front part of its nose in between those sliding glass doors, it has all day to test that. And a monitor can flatten itself out so much it will it will just I mean like millimeter by millimeter start the sliding process to uh, get through. And fortunately, glass you know doesn't flex. But if you're using acrylic, man, um, acrylic flexes. So that monitor will figure out how to slide its body between those doors if there's even just barely enough room. Um, and there's nothing worse than the save yourself the trouble get ahead of it you will i've spent hours and days looking for lost animals to the point where yeah i made the decision for babies there's no sliding glass it's all swing open doors that i can lock yeah, um, yeah. and it's like not even when you're uh, not paying attention right right um mm, let's say uh when you're just getting in there doing cage maintenance stuff and you're opening the door and boom, it just takes a leap on you mm -hmm. and then you gotta like chase after do whatever. That's like the worst part. And that's what I was having trouble with, with the Tristis. I'd basically, if I had the cage open too long, they'd take off so <laughs> I would just launch in bugs in there and, and that's it. But, um, yeah. So with the, the, release that i have now in relation we're just bouncing back and forth on how to 
kind of keep them, right? If anybody's trying to keep Tristis when you're, you know, looking at them in the future, I mean, if let's say you get a medium one or a large one, it's easy to keep in any cage almost. But when you're keeping babies, man, I basically have latch cages now. So they're just a solid front. It's a wooden enclosure, and the glass front is stable. So it doesn't move, doesn't slide, doesn't do anything. And mm -hmm. you're able to only open the cage through an excess top. And then um, through there, uh, you're, you're then limited through how much space they can actually get out. You can kind of control the area a little bit better rather than opening a whole front of an enclosure and having them just pop out on you. Um, right. Don't get me wrong. You can make it useful, and you got to be careful 100% of the time, which sucks. You know, you want to – I mean, not everybody is careful 100% of the time. And, and you know, some people are this and that or they're, you know, tired or not paying attention or they got 100 other things to do as well that you kind of just want to make this quick where you're just popping in something, you know, lift up the latch, throw in some bugs, and that's it. But if you got to, you know – be all super cautious about every single time opening this enclosure it kind of makes uh, keeping a, a hassle rather than anything else you know yeah, yeah. you know one thing I, I will say though is for keepers out there um there there comes that choice when you have that split second and the animal is coming out of the cage and you might not have the most um <clears throat> well-established history with that animal you might be a little scared, but before that animal hits the ground and escape, go hands-on. Take the bite if you have to. Uh, believe me, even if they bulldog you for a good 10 minutes um, and it hurts, it is better than hours and hours of looking and the, the pain you feel in your gut of losing that baby. Take the bite. Even even if it's a full-grown, um, I would say full-grown dwarf model. <laughs> Uh, if it's a bigger monitor, you might want to pick your battles. Um, but a full-grown dwarf monitor, you know, take the bite. That's my opinion. Um, I I go hands-on. As soon as something's running towards the door, if it's inescapable, um, I've developed very fast hands. But I've had a lot of things get out on me. So I've, I've had some practice now. Uh, so get good at, at, at catching lizards, you know. Get those fast hands. Don't be shy. Um, their tails don't come off. They're pretty durable. I'm not saying squish them into the ground or anything, but you can apply a little pressure to a monitor, um, and it will more than likely be fine. Little babies, of course, you know, you're like a little um, skeptical of, but um, but also go into your cage smart. Like I, I like using – um exoterras for babies i have a couple top or i actually have a lot of top opening um uh, cages but i have had animals that when they're running around in a top opening cage jump onto my arm and run up my arm and out um so i've had to get fast mm -hmm. at that tristis do that a lot to me um they see that <laughs> they see that escape <laughs> and that man yeah yeah, I had to get good at it. Um, yeah, ch chasing a lizard, uh, chasing a dwarf monitor. All right, so the first time I had to chase one, I went and we basically ripped apart my my place where I lost the Tristis. Obviously, yeah. I didn't want to lose that, so we ended up still looking for it. Looked around the house, up 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 underneath, like the the place that we're living at. Um, I even moved the washer and dryer. 
everything right basically just uh close try to close off stuff chip off stuff even put like you know um, baby powder on the floor to see if it was walking through <laughs> you know that was like the worst idea because getting it up is a pain so uh-huh. yeah and then uh then with the Kimberly, <laughs> my first ever kimberly that i lost man okay so uh i had an exoterra and it was basically like a skyscraper one mm-hmm. uh, so it's like maybe like 30 inches tall by 16 by 16 something like that right yeah um so it wasn't huge but it was still tall enough and i thought it was great flight distance enough where it it, it would you know he wouldn't be able to get out or anything like that but it it actually just darted on the gap as i was opening the door you know as you open the door the the very edges this leaves this gap there as the as the mm-hmm. door opens wider, the gap gets bigger. And so it ran and got into the gap area. And you you can't just, you know, smash it close because you're just going to smash the lizard. It's basically tiny, fragile. You know, the, the tail tips and f- toes are like lead pencil thin. So yeah. even thinner than that. And so you can just break it just like that. And so um, I obviously didn't do anything other than let it run, right? <laughs> Yeah, because I thought I could just catch it on the rebound, but it went underneath this refrigerator, the small little fridge, and it was a tiny fridge. So I actually took this this thing outside, ripped this refrigerator apart, man. Like, uh, like I uns- it was a brand, it was not a brand new one, but it was a really good working fridge that we brought not too long ago, you know. And so it, I shouldn't have ripped open the fridge, but <laughs> it, it, there it went a couple hundred dollars or something like that down the drain. And yeah. just uh, I took off the doors, bro. Turned it upside down. Took off like whatever motor thing was there. Removed that. Try to get in any little crevice. I even like poured water into crevices to see if it'll come up. Yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't even in there. It was in the restroom. It, it had, somehow ran, got into the restroom, and um, I saw it running underneath this crack in this cabinet where it just basically lifts up a little higher than the rest of the floor and i snagged it by the its tail and its back leg hmm. yeah man chasing See? dwarf monitors is not fun so take the bite catch the monitor get fast hands take the bite you'll save yourself hours and hours and so much heartache and uh, yeah. reaching out on all the forums and Facebook pages and watching all the YouTube videos of how to catch lost animals. Uh, you'll, you'll try to set up like traps and all this stuff. You'll be thinking yeah. you'll have baby powder all over your house. Take the bite. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> it's uh it's, it's worth it to get, they don't really make enclosures like how I described. I actually had to make one. I had, had to have one made specifically for me by my friend uh, at, uh, at, at reptile hut and um mm-hmm. basically it's just just that it is it has a bigger latch door and that was where i can get in your furniture and it's just the top latch door so you know let's picture three-fourths of the top is you can lift you can lift it up and then yeah. on the inside of that like centered in there is the smaller latch door that can also lift up and that's where i do the daily you know, enter water cups and feeding and throwing this and that. And I can even get in my arm in and out, but I can't take in large pieces of furniture 
that I would need to do, you know? Right. Um, yeah. You know what, what I really think? like? Well, well um, <clears throat> for before you get to the step, if you're keeping um, um, dwarf monitors, I guess specifically in this one, uh, you can do it with other animals you're raising up. But we we a lot of times reference the uh, exoterras just because they're I think they're the main. They, they came out with the first cage. Then Zoomed and Zilla came out with um, with cages also that were front opening, more of like a a reptile cage than a aquarium. Um, but the if you're familiar with the exoterras, they're great front opening um, um, cages. But the top doesn't come off that easy. It's it's <clears throat> it wasn't built for top access. But there yeah. are other ones. There's um you know I I don't have any affiliation with Zilla or anything. But they do have their front opening cages that um <clears throat> they provide a little more. There there's some different options on top where you can put your lights. Um, and you can also have a smaller door up on top. So you don't have to open the front if you don't want to, and you can get in there and do things. And the chance of an animal escaping is really slim. And so I actually, I really like their design. Um, they have some decent sizes and I think for raising up dwarf monitors, it'd be a really good idea if you are going into, um, having to buy a new cage to start off with. And one of the other things I like, I guess I'll just touch in on this stuff is I, I have no problem using your standard 20 uh, gallon um, like aquarium. But I like personally the ventilation that comes through that strip that's right below the doors on like the exoterras yeah. and the stillas. And it brings, so that's enough. Right. For me, for my purposes, I like the way that the cool air comes in through the door, then it comes up, of course, goes up through the top. You got good ventilation. Uh, you can cover the top portion to a certain extent. You still want airflow, um, but you can reduce the amount of ventilation. But it's important to have access for cool air to come into the cage, and it helps keep that top layer of the the substrate dry, which is important with raising, especially, <clears throat> especially babies with their fragile toes and tail tips. Um, and then I get the choice of spraying the cage down uh, during the day. And But it also allows it to dry off because there's such good ventilation. So just a little plug, something for people to think about. Or if you're making your own, um, you know, it it's possibly worth it to incorporate some of these ideas. There's a reason they put a vent at that point in the cage. So I guess just real quick, I would uh, throw that out. There's something to think about. And I really do like the way those Zilla cages are set up. Um, the Zoom Eds aren't, aren't that bad either. They have some great front opening cages, but I think you're left with, um, it's like a dual door up on top. So you can open half, um, you can, or um, half at a time. And the way you have your lights set up might become kind of a ha it's a hassle when you always have to move lights to get access if you need to go through the top. So that's kind of why um, I like the way that one's set up. So little rant, but just something to think about if you're looking at uh, cages, you're looking at pictures, and you're thinking about getting possibly a new a new dwarf monitor, and you're wondering what would uh, be a good idea to start with, especially if you can find one on a, like a local marketplace or 
yeah um, facebook you know um, like I, but, I, I, hate, I hate to just let everybody fend for themselves but i, I always <laughs> gotta ask people like hey what are you gonna keep this in because mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean yeah i, I really want to avoid the conversation of hey i i just lost it what do i do right or, you know or, or the other one is like you have another one i'm like I, I, these are not easy to replace man you know right like, i had to cry and pray so this thing can actually hatch out and so you know it's like i don't do that that often no? yep um, you know and so it's just that uh, it's just things to be aware of it's just like you know uh i don't know with uh with like tiny little snakes keeping little colubrids and making sure that the the little um the little tray as you're sliding in and out has has that gap closed you know so very very mm-hmm. similar to this here you're just making sure that you're uh, aware of the animal's capabilities to sneak in snug in and escape basically um yeah, I have uh, I have exoterras on my little baby cages for those ones that I use. Now I have a couple ways to rig the top to the exoterras where they work. It really just depends on how well the humidity is being held in that in that cage, or sorry, also in that room too. Um, but sometimes I'll cut out. It's only a quarter inch thick of plywood to fit the top, and then I'll you know basically drill a hole through and run the wires through and hook up a socket that right there is mm-hmm. a very I, I like that method of keeping them but um there's also the front entrance issue so i've I, i've eliminated now and gone to my current status but i also you know i still have extra cages that i need to use in a whim and obviously just using a normal exoterra the way it is isn't going to be cutting it for for what i need to do because it, it's so dry where i live so i actually need to conserve humidity a bit more um, I also still apply, have the lamp where I'm going to set it and then have laminated cardboard or, or whatever basically fit on top of that exoterra lid. Um, yeah. Keeping the integrity of the shape of the original build, but just modifying it a little bit so it releases moisture a little bit less. Yep. It, these, are, these are all things get, um, that we've had to experiment with and uh figure out what works with us but if you're keeping monitors believe me you'll be a problem solver if you're going to be successful you'll figure things out um you'll have a problem and this is usually how it goes for me you'll have a problem you'll look for the information that's already out there you'll ask some questions but at the end of the day if no one is quite in your situation you just got to think okay this is the problem i know what the answer is how do i get there and then you're going to do it so if that's making a top or if that's making adjustments, however you need to make them, uh, welcome to monitor keeping. You will figure it out. (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me. I'm still choking on things. So um, I guess I'll I'll let people in. We were a little late on recording. So I think we usually put out episodes on Saturdays. Uh, We didn't have one out this Saturday for two reasons. One, we had Mike Stefani on again for our round two. And um, it got messed up and it was unsalvageable. Um, But you can also catch a great episode with Mike on NPR uh, talking to Eric and Owen about um, mainly Kimberly's and Aki's. And so I'll throw that little plug out there real quick. Um, Mike's a great guy. Um, Believe me, we'll have Mike on again and he's, he's going to be around. Um, 
but the other reason also is I came down with the COVID, man. And uh, <laughs> I disappeared for like two weeks. So my wife got it first. And then I was a few days after her. And uh, it hit me hard. And uh, I got delirious for a few days or parts of days. And uh, fortunately, all the babies were, were fine. I would uh, stumble over there. I would, you know, throw some crickets in a bag, shake them up and uh, and throw them in there. Make sure some things had at least water. Uh, made a, may have taken a fall or two getting around because I was just pouring sweat. And it's like I remember one time the uh, I was trying to do stuff over there and I was gearing up for it all day. And um, I was walking through the warehouse and it's like the ground was just getting closer <laughs> until I found myself on the ground. I was just like sweating my ass off. Um, and then I think I, I fed them. I went home. I slept for like 12 hours. I don't even part of probably why I was delirious is I was probably forgetting to eat and drink water, just sleeping. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's so that's why we were a little behind. So. Thanks for being patient with us, and uh, you know <clears throat> we'll be back on it. Now. I'm immune now, so I'm I'm bulletproof, um, or so they say. <laughs> we'll see. There'll be some new variant yeah. to come up and bite me in the ass. Being sick with monitors, man, that doesn't work too well, especially when you mm, got to go. When you got babies, yeah, man. <laughs> no, what killed oh, me was geez. I tried to walk into the uh, the the sand monitor closure right. And that heat and humidity hit me in the face. I think yeah. I almost passed out right then. You would have, there would have been some yeah. news story about how some crazy guys' monitors ate them. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like when I'm incredibly sick, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I still have to do stuff. I basically do stuff oh, yeah. for like two, two or three minutes. And then I get exhausted, right? It's the yeah. heat, the humidity. But then also, typically when I'm, when I'm sick, the... My my health is like tied with my asthma, so it's like, oh, yeah. bro, if you're if you're basically having trouble breathing, you're gonna it's it's basically bad for you because you're gonna be so fatigued and strained all the time, right? Yeah, and um, yeah, basically, I'll I'll strain for five minutes. You know, I can strain for a little bit, take a sip of water, hit my inhaler, and then go back out and then come back in like maybe thirty minutes later, finish up some stuff. But man, when I'm sick and I'm dead. Uh, yeah, I, I try to do things like once a day and then just leave stuff alone, you know, um, but it's it's really hard now, now that I have the grasshopper stuff, oh, the but bugs, also, yeah, yeah, the bugs are pretty demanding, but the, the actual, I would say the, the actual digging up nests and stuff like that and paying attention is like, if I miss a couple of days or even like a, a weekend or a week's worth of stuff. I'm a little bit off track on what's been going on. Oh, and, man. you know, sometimes I'm, I really pay attention because I'm there like all the time and I can see what they do almost day and night, even if they're out at the nighttime or if they're digging or whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm essentially there, you know? Um, you know, you say that um, I, outside of monitors, I also of course keep some snakes and uh, I, <coughs> I noticed a, I had a, uh, female python goes super late. So first off, I was already behind the curve. I wasn't expecting her to go at all. I mean, like super late. Um, but then I got sick. And uh, of course, my wife's still sick. I was trying to take care of her. We have the, the kids. I was trying to 
do my best just to keep up with life. And um, <clears throat> I did not set her up right. I mean, she had a very basic enclosure um, and I failed to really give her a nesting area. Um, so she held on to those eggs probably for a few days longer than she should have lost the whole clutch. It would have been a great clutch, but um, I have to chalk it up to, you know, um, at least I didn't lose the animal. It's a bummer, you know, that she went through that process that I had supported her to get to that point um, that, you know, there was a plan to it, but came down with the sickness and uh, there was a little, there was a few things I won't get into all of them, but a few things that happened that, um, you know, kind of just, it sucked. Um, <clears throat> I did lose one animal, but this animal was kind of struggling. Um, at that, at this point anyway, it was a constant care type of animal situation. Um, so I did lose one animal, um, just cause I couldn't keep up with the daily everything. Um, but that in the clutch, I think I got out pretty good considering the babies needed to eat every day. Um, one of the reasons I actually brought the, the group of Tristis home is so they were right next to me. So I could yeah. get a little stash of crickets and roaches. Started doing what I was telling you, man. Everything. Yeah. The baby's got to be by you because, yeah. you know, they're they're like – they're obviously what we worked for. The adults yep. are a lot bit, a lot more hardy. You can, they've already been in that situation. But the babies have to like – you know, they need that kind of – not round-the-clock care where you're tending to them every hour or every minute at all. Not, not like that. But – you're kind of peering in more often than if they were at a shed outside or. A oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why babies are close. Babies right near for me, the incubator and the babies are essentially in the room or in the room right next to me. The adults though are in the far room furthest away from me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so. Oh, yeah. on that note too. The, so the, the Tristus they're, they're here it's always been Aki's here. So, uh, it's fun to have something else in the house. Um, yeah. but they are coming up on a month old and, uh, they're going to be going to new homes pretty soon. And here any day, the first clutch of peacock monitors are going to hatch and they're coming home. They're going to be here. Um, oh, nice man. I can't that's wait. A, that's a great redemption from what you did to my other stuff. <laughs> wait, but, oh, oh, from the, the first clutch of eggs that I uh, nuked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I This has been a while coming, so I'm, I'm really happy. And it's from really two, two great-looking animals. Um, so I'm really, really uh, looking forward to seeing how these babies progress. And I want to keep them at the house just because the noises, being around the family, the kids, they're, they're shy monitors. But these are captive-bred monitors. So I want to I want to see how their progression will be um, when they're kept here in this situation because I mean nothing would be better than these. You want to talk about a stellar looking monitor? Um, what these peacock monitors are available or what they're capable of achieving as far as color? Uh, yeah. From when they start, I mean, from yeah. when they start to what they end up, it's your end. You got two monitors. It looks like. Oh yeah. You know, um, I have a few that just, they look like sunsets, man. They, but, that's the best way I can describe them. So the ones that you post, but now let's just say the gentleman that we talked about this in the last one, but a gentleman that just hatched out some. So his right now look black and white. 
Oh yeah. Look yeah. Like something else. You would never think, Oh, that's often bird guy. Right. Or that's radis timorensis or whatever it is. It looks like a scalaris of something else. Right. And, um, or more so you would think that's similis, you know? Right. Um, Very much and, true. And because of the colors, the colors are, are, are key, but you would think the actual ontogenic part <clears throat> wouldn't become blue and red and sunset orange and yellows the arm flanks, the neck flanks are yeah. all yellow and orange. And that brings out the red and blue, which yeah. on a dwarf monitor, if you were to think about it, no other dwarf monitor looks like that. Mm-hmm. The, like, I mean, with reds and blues on the same lizard, you know, there's blue lizards and there's red lizards and there's the in between, but rarely ever are there both on the same one. Right. Um, and, you know, I would put that as a very high, high demand lizard, even if it was only a, a, a $75 lizard five years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. There was um, there. There's a lot of history on like the what was considered Timor monitors and then blue spot Timors and then how often guy came to be um, as far as peacock monitor. But I hope to with this, you know, this small clutch that I have really um, post pictures and, and put it out there for people to see their progression of what babies turn into uh, and the kind of colors they're capable of. And also just kind of showcase the animals themselves. Cause I really think that they have a really bright future in the captivity. And I think once we get almost lines established, not only for color, but when you start captive breeding down the line, you know, you, I, believe that um it really adds into the animal's overall um tractability and so to to be able to experience more of the dwarf monitor world especially so that people any not everybody can keep a water monitor but dwarf monitors are a good size um and to be able to expand out of australia and into what else is out there is um really where i you know some of my excitement is especially for the hobby Hopefully there's other people out there that feel the same way. Um, it's that part know. of the world, all of our favorite animals come from there. It's yeah. Australia curves up and yep. even New Caledonia and, and all, 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 all those smaller Micronesian islands. Yeah. Papua New Guinea, all, like dude, Papua New Guinea is hot spot still. Yeah. Still to this day. Oh man. There's so many undescribed things out there. I have a feeling there's quite a few more dwarf monitors, either species, subspecies, or um, localities. That Very small, small localities, small right. like ranges where it's like an island or part of one island, not, right. not all over the island. Right. Yeah. And so I want to get over there too and see with my own eyes. We a lot of times we get stuck looking at books and what other people see. And we get stuck with the animals, the lines, the blood that we have over here. And we make up all these, um, um, almost like facts in our heads about what these animals are and where they come from. And Kai, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, this very well with the work you've put into talking to other people in the world, just with Indicus, but yeah, I think that is such a disservice. It's just we don't have the knowledge. We don't have the eyes on to um, to see, you know, what else is going on over there. Um, we're talking about areas where 
an animal can be different on the coast and it can have different habitats, different diet on the coast, but it exists there, but it also exists 20 miles inland and it's um, either the same species or a subspecies. And we only get what we get over here in the hobby. And you have to understand that these are still very remote places. Um, yeah. You're usually Where you can die getting there. <laughs> like the, the villagers will kill you getting there. Right. And there's no point for if we have to understand that, like a lot of the, the imports that we're seeing, these are being caught by locals, by local kids. Um, yeah. They're still within the populated areas. They're not crazies necessarily like us where they want to go 20 miles into the, the yeah, jungle. The small island. And you'd have to actually get right. actual reliable people. That's that's the one thing is reliability. Um, mm-hmm. You get somebody that's going to not screw you over, not hurt you or take your money. Um, you know, basically leave you out stranded because you die out there. Right. That's how remote some of these places are. And then you have to look. Okay, when in our cages, it's simple. In our even even in our in our, our our trees here, which are not that tall, right? The the dense forest out there, you'd have to look through just for little lizards. Mm-hmm. So how how hard is that? You know. Oh man, um, and their habits too. You know, it's just we're talking about like uh like things like Timorensis and um, in the Timorensis family. These are tree loving lizards. Okay. So if somebody doesn't know how to look up in the, you're talking about a dense canopy. Um, and these animals are naturally shy. They like to stay hidden. They know how to be on the other side of a tree when an animal's hunting them or looking for them. They know how to err on the side of caution. They don't need to stare at you when they have a hollow log in their range to go hide into. If you're in the yeah. area, it's in the hollow log. So how much are we not even seeing that's out there? Um, And I could go on a big old rant with my thoughts on all this, but um, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get at is um, there's a lot to be seen. There's a lot to be done out there. I think there's a lot more, uh, not only different species, but different um, uh, subspecies and different looks to animals that, we just don't have if any of you guys follow the indonesian guys sometimes you see like these water monitors or uh oh indicus uh dorianus that you know yeah yeah i was telling kai about a black and white like dorianus looking animal i mean these animals exist out there or even that sweet looking orange pastel dorianus that you you have in your possession at the moment i mean that thing's unreal um yeah, and uh, that thing came in looking 100% different than what it does now. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have even bought it if, uh, if you know. I, I yeah. mean, I, I obviously, I, obviously I didn't, but um, originally. Um, but now it's like I'm kicking myself in the foot for for not in the first place, you know. Um, right. Yeah, you just don't know. Things yeah. look differently, different stages. And I think that's incredible. So you have like your classic looking like Dorianus that's black with these little yellow spots and a blue tail as a baby. And then a few months down the road, you have an animal that looks something totally different that you, how do we know? We don't have the knowledge out there. No one's worked with them to that degree to um, say, okay, this one from this area is going to turn out like this. We're starting to, 
But I mean, um, anyways, I don't want to talk too much about that because I have some interest in Dorianus. So <laughs> I don't want to get people all uh, jacked up and doing their own internet searches. Wait till I'm done. Then you guys can. <laughs> Yeah. But anyways, you know, I'm getting off topic, Kai. We were supposed to be talking about Tristus, and here I am. It's all right. We're I'm always off topic. As long as it's monitor-related, it's all good, right? right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess... I mean... Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to get talking about Tristus again. So finish up what you were going to say. Oh, no. Um, I think if anybody were to have, you know, questions regarding Tristus, uh, I'm I'm only very limited with the Trista stuff. Uh, Alan would be able to help you out much more with them and anything like that. And uh, you know, we, we, there's much a little bit more to to really go over too with with the Trista stuff. Um, I just uh, I just I myself am, I can only share a limited amount. You know. Yeah. Um, well, I would say like my my approach with them and my approach with all dwarf monitors is similar. Um, especially with babies, I, I like, um, very simplistic setups. Okay. That is so you can monitor your animal so that your animal can also monitor you. Um, and with something so small and like Kai pointed out with the, the pencil thin tails, um, it's very nice to be able to look into a cage and know the status of your animal. If you need to add in a little more food, um, then you can do so. If your animal needs to be able to find food, if it's a very basic setup, um, you know, put, have something like a, uh, a stack under the basking, uh, light so that your temperatures can get high enough in the one thirties or so on the top. And then it can choose a thermal gradient while staying hidden. Okay. I like to even on the top of my my stack put an extra piece of bark so that the animal can actually stay hidden right there. It can peek out a little bit, um, and I do that for a lot of the the dwarf monitors um, so they can reach ultra high temps if they want to while still having that retreat right next to them, or they can peek a foot out, a head out, you know, just something uh, until they're more comfortable and um to to come all the way out and take care of what they need to um but i also like to put like a dish of roaches um on so next to the stack but not directly near the basking light somewhere where um i don't need to see i don't need to be able to necessarily look in and see the roaches right in front of me so if i have the like a stack a thermal gradient stack of some sort I can put the roaches kind of on the back side of it if it's just in a little dish and dig a little hole in whatever maybe substrate I have in there to kind of make it more flush with the ground. This allows the animal to come out of the stack, stay hidden kind of on the back side, eat its fill, go back into the stack with relatively staying hidden the whole time. Um, I think a lot of times we, we want to rush um, seeing our animals and interacting with our animals when I think it's so much more important to establish a good month, two months, sometimes three months of the animal getting used to you, your routine before you ever even touch that animal. We want to, we want to rush things sometimes like, uh, and all you do is you end up stressing out the animal and making it so they're not safe. And if you, if you 
did something like you bought a group of let's say uh three tristus four tristus um there's they're gonna establish their own pecking order and those weaker animals if you if you put that kind of stress on them they're gonna start to fail sometimes so to avoid all that make sure there's plenty of food the animal feels safe it's going to be with you for a long time. You'll have plenty of time to establish those bonds and to get your hands on that animal if it, if it wants you to. Um, but support that animal. Let it um, get some good size on it. Let it um, establish like a feeding pattern, a daily routine with you. Um, and then <clears throat> for – so I treat – like I was saying, the dwarf monitor is very similar – um, I like to, I will use paper towels sometimes at first. Um, I don't always, but I have no problem using paper towels and spraying them down. Now, when I'm using paper towels, I'll spray three or four times a day. Um, and then I will also let it dry out. I don't like animals sitting on moisture. Now you can have a spot in that cage where you keep something purposely moist and it'll stay moist for the day you can i've even seen some guys um with the paper towel approach they will take a regular like uh hand towel and they'll they'll get it wet put it in water um wring it out and put it somewhere in the cage where that hand towel will stay about 85 degrees and the babies will just burrow into that hand towel and so every day you can just take it out make you know make sure there's no babies in it throw it in the wash grab another hand towel and it just uh, it provides a humid hide for the babies. And uh, while the rest of the cage can dry out and stay dry, they have access to that to burrow in. That way you're not getting the problems that sometimes associated with too much humidity. Um, Trista's toes and tail tips are so thin, so fragile, uh, even more so than baby Aki's. So uh, it's important to be able to let your animal have choices. Um, don't keep them too humid. Uh, don't keep them too dry either. But if you have those choices where the animals can get to what they need to, believe me, they're, they will treat you good. Um, and then food for, for baby Tristus, they like to chase things, but they do like to stay hidden. I watch for, for little poops basically on the basking spot. If I'm seeing good amount of poops, um, I know that they're eating. I know that things are going well. They're getting the nutrients in. Um, and then, uh, it's also important to gut load your, your feeders, um, especially for growing babies. You know, I have no problem also using chopped pinks. I will use them weekly, uh, a few times a week along with bugs. Um, you know, people will say what they will say about that, but Hey, I have no, no issue with it. My, my animals are growing great. Um, they thrive. And they're very healthy. Uh, they develop very good appetites. They know how to eat out of a dish. They know how to chase crickets around. They're very comfortable with whatever I need to, to feed them. Because there, there have been times, you know, where there's been a cricket shortage, a superworm shortage, roach shortage. And it's nice to expose them to different things. Um, and monitors are very sight-oriented. So it's easy with crickets and, like, you know, Kai, with the grasshoppers. Um, but it's also good to have it in your back pocket where you can put something in a dish and they know how to get to it. They know how to eat from that. Um, yeah. mine do a little bit better 
with both around. Um, Some aren't really hip to chasing the grasshoppers and crickets, but they'll eat like egg and mice pieces out of a little dish, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, As long as they ate, that's all I care about. Right. Um, Yeah, that's all I care about. I mean, I'm not going to feed it a a rodent mouse diet 24-7 and every day or anything like that, but I'm just going to bounce between maybe three or four different things. I bounce between egg, chicks, mice mm-hmm. and, and grasshoppers that's that's what i bounce between um and it really just depends on what i have most of and kind of giving a balance between all four things yeah uh, i wouldn't make your life too complicated and get like 10 different things that you gotta house store feed do whatever yeah. to just, just keep it simple you know a few things yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you're gonna uh, if you're keeping you know just a few babies um no around town a couple places you can get crickets but when you get them get them a day early don't run out and then you need them you're already a day behind get your crickets a little bit early give them some good um good nutrients i, I like to use a lot of sliced carrots um i don't use a lot of potatoes i will throw sometimes some berries in uh oranges um <clears throat> and then usually I still have like uh, I've been using mostly vegetables for the water source. I did pick up some water crystals yeah, just in case I, I need to use them, but um, um, good veggies. And then I use um, some, some bran flakes or um, uh, chick feed just as a dry food source um, and get that good nutrients into your bugs first. And then you, you'll see it in your babies. They grow tremendously fast. And uh, I've been able to see it now when you have good fed um, feeder bugs, it goes right into your animal and it shows. It shows not only in their growth rate, but in their attitude, um, how they're moving around, running around in the the overall animal. But then also um, I supplement with calcium and D3. Uh, We've had some guests on that just like calcium, um, Find one that works for you. I, I use the ZooMed stuff. Kai, I think you mentioned you use Mineral, right? Yeah, I use Mineral. I have the D3 and then I have without the D3. I use the D3 much more often, even yeah. if I'm using um, calcium within the diet. Uh, if I'm already, yeah, I, I use the without D3 maybe once a month or so, but I use the other ones all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and another thing um, for, for babies um just i was thinking my mind's on the crickets you know there's we can use a, a water dish um but i think zoom Ed or somebody they make these really nice like shallow water dishes if you want to go buy something that kind of have some texture to them and a little ramp um in and out i actually like using those even though you're gonna pay 4.99 6.99 for something like that that might be unnecessary um, the reason I like them is I don't worry about the animal really drowning or anything like that, but crickets will kill themselves in a regular water dish. And <laughs> I, I hate seeing a, a, you know, a dish full of just drowned crickets and it gets this like brown tint to it and just looks nasty. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I like to save myself the hassle now with the babies. Now the babies do run through it, but we're talking maybe a quarter inch of water and I just go through real quick and just, 
I, I fill up new water into them. I let the water that's in there kind of splash out. Sometimes I just stick my finger in there and stir it up, get the dirt out. And it's just part of the daily routine. Um, a lot of times in a dwarf monitor cage, though, uh, your temperatures are so hot that that water that spills out is going to dry out anyway, especially if you have some decent ventilation. So that's just the way I do it. And I I like that the crickets that I put in there stay alive and they're not drowning in a water bowl somewhere. So um, let's see. If I'm not raising uh, like the Tristus I have right now, I didn't set them up on paper towels. They have about four to five inches of uh, a substrate base. And then the top of the substrate base, I covered with just some leaves that I have out in the yard. They're oak leaves, uh, not your big one, like your smaller oak leaves. And um, you're like sphagnum moss. And then what I've done is I've stacked um, some stones, some thinner stones under the basking spot on one side. And then I've placed stacks of bark around the basking spot onto the basking spot. And then I have a, so at home, I use this system where it's, uh, it sounds like a lot, but it's a, um, a mini halogen on one side. We're talking a two foot exoterra that's 18 inches tall. Um, it's a two foot, uh, I'm sorry, it's a um, Zilla mini halogen on one side and like a 60 watt ceramic heater on the other side. Um, the ceramic heater stays on all the time and the, I turn the, the mini halogen off at night and it sounds like a lot of heat. It does put a lot of heat into the room. However, with just the way that our air conditioner runs and keeping things at room temperature, it actually keeps the cage itself about 80 to 85 degrees in the ambience. Um, there's always heat that they can get to. They do stack up under the the uh, sorry the uh, ceramic heater at night um that's where you'll find them in the daytime i usually find them in and around the mini halogen um <clears throat> and then what i do is because there's so much heat and i do have good ventilation on the top of that cage is i will spray in the morning after i turn the lights on for a little bit and i will spray in the evening about an hour before i turn off the lights they always have water and then that substrate base that four or five inches acts as a humidity bank a moisture bank along with the um the the leaves kind of lock in the moisture to the soil but then i can also spray the sphagnum moss that i've spread out in there and it's just enough to hold moisture for a little bit. It soaks up what I spray into there. Uh, it yeah. makes the cage humid for a good hour or so, like those spikes. And um, for me, it's an awesome baby cage. I have no problem using that for almost any I – would, I would not hesitate to use it for any of my baby monitors. Um, it covers their needs. And then, yeah, I dump in cricket. They, they have crickets and roaches – pretty much all the time. Um, so they can chase something, they can feed off of something in a bowl. Um, trying to think what else I set them up with. I think that's that's pretty standard uh, for how I set them up. Now, I, I talk about stacks. Right now I'm just using stacks of um, some stone pieces and oak bark, but you can use cork bark. Um, you can use plywood. Uh, you know, various things. You can use different pieces of slate. The only thing I would suggest is that 
you really secure your your stones if you're going to use stones in a way that you're not going to crush your babies. Um, yeah. If you have to go in there and move stuff around because you need to find them, um, have them in a way where you don't remove one and they all come tumbling down. You know, uh, have them stacked in a system where you can remove the top one safely without putting any extra pressure on any corner of that stone because that might be where your baby's hiding. Um, if you choose to use that. Um, and the reasons for that is stone is a great heat bank. Uh, when the lights hit it, it stores that energy store. It stays warm for a long time. It radiates heat into the ground. Um, so that's why I choose to use it in that situation. Uh, plywood bark doesn't do that as well or really at all once you get into the dirt. So, um, just different things to think about as you're setting up your baby. Um, I'm guessing, Kai, that's pretty similar to what you do. You've been doing with the Kimberleys. I know you give them those little hanging. Uh, yeah, they're just hanging. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't use any floor setup at all for the for the dwarf Kimberleys. Um, and even the mangroves, I, I've limited uh, the, the floor hiding as much as possible. So everything is elevated. Um, my things are just stacked. There's not really a ton of depth in the bedding at all. Uh, and I just keep moist paper towels for the first few weeks or so. And then once they've passed their first shed, seem to be doing really well. Their belly buttons have all healed up. I then, you know, add some sandy soil. Mm -hmm. um, I don't use too much as far as um, I'd say I don't use too much as far as heavy rocks for any of the babies at all um, just because of the falling and placement of them. I, I would essentially need to set them on something that's going to stay sturdy. And if they're against something, they, they can't be moved at all. But I, I just don't like really heavy objects with little babies. Yeah. Um, I am one of those that kind of go into my enclosures a little bit more often than some other people might have. Um, I, I just end up, you know, looking for babies. I kind of, uh, you know, chin rub and feed them. I tongue feed them a little bit more. My imprinting is a little bit, um, you know, I, I actually try to work with them a little bit. So that way they're, they're, they're tame and they're working, they're workable. Um, mm -hmm. so if I have to, rotate and move slate rocks and stuff like that they basically end up smashing something or even smashing my own finger or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah so everything for me is lightweight wood um uh, i use uh plastic coated fencing type stuff or i'll use the the hammock thing and i, I don't even use a the, it in a hammock style the way it's supposed to i just uh, line it up against the wall so they have something to climb yeah um and that for me gives them just enough to do and everything like that with with everything going on. Um, I don't use any of the floor soil stuff too much just because they go there right away and they end up getting bumblefoot or something like that from my improper ratios at the bottom if I hmm. happen to have them. So um, yeah, I haven't. I don't put any of the babies on it just yet. I, I'm not really one to throw babies onto soil just right away. Yeah, I, I, it's just just how I kind of do things. Even if they're they're good eaters or whatnot, or or the the food is in a bowl, I I, I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it is a little bit more maintenance. It is a little bit more work. Um, but overall, you're going to switch to soil. Don't be using paper towel just because we're using it. We're just doing it as they're hatching out, you know. Right. But once we get to a point and they can actually do do well and they're well started and you seem like, okay, adding soil is fine, then go ahead and do it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, then you do it just like how, how Alan explained with the sandy soil with the leaf litter on top. Um, I, I put, like, banana leaves that basically take forever to break down. Yeah. Um, I also use the oak leaves too. Um, maple leaves and all this stuff like that just break down way too fast. Yeah. Yeah. Now they mm. might, they might be good to add to the soil if you're purposely trying yeah. to reach a certain consistency, but like Kai said, right. those maple leaves, they break down. They add good color though. When you oh. like, when, when they're, when they're falling and you throw them in, oh man, it makes the cage look like, like oh, it's yeah. a different, whole different setup. Yeah. It's fun picture um, time. <laughs> yeah, now the leaf litter, uh, I once I do use it and I add the soil in and I add the leaf litter, I do notice the animals have different behavior mm -hmm. as 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 opposed to eating jumping grasshoppers or they're eating out of a bowl. They actually they actually flush stuff through the leaf litter. Like if I throw in bugs, then they land down there or. You know, mm -hmm. there's just something that there for them to do. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see that there's interest in what they want to do down there. Um, I just don't have it too wet down there at all. Yeah, I, it's, I think it's something we developed a knack for. So, um, like, I, I, I know what I'm looking for by sight and feel, as far as moisture down there. But it's, it's we, we say moisture, and we think we have to see moisture. It's more like just this. Like, yeah it's it's just barely <laughs> just barely yeah. enough in there um i mean again i just uh saturate moist soil at the bottom or moist sandy soil and then i have my thing where i just dump stuff on top of it so that way, that's how you keep it dry yeah, right yeah, yeah they yeah. just can't touch it yeah, it, yeah. good into so uh, it's dry but underneath i know what's down there and, yeah uh, yeah it's, it's what i need to do I just revamped most of my female nest bins, so uh, yeah, I just I literally just did all this the other day. Ended up uh, ended up having to move a bunch of soil nest bins, making sure everything is good. Yeah, and all that. Yeah, you know I'm gonna be messing around with some different. It's basically gonna be a tote, but almost different coverings or maybe a different shell um, for nest bins that I kind of want to use more aesthetically pleasing, I guess. Um, for some yeah. cages, not everyone. Some things I just need to be able to get in, get out, and uh, it works. But um, yeah, I used to want to always uh, make a nicer nest bin too. Like I've, I have ideas, but I just don't like. Uh, yeah. I don't know the material and the time to do it, and the fact that it might not work. <laughs> yeah. When when the bins have been working, so I'm not gonna try to change too much with what I got going on. So. Yeah. No, I'm just yeah, yeah. at this point where it actually ties into this Tristus thing. So um, I guess I'll, I'll finish with um, talking some Tristus. Once you get your, like, babies, your monitors are going to grow at a great rate. I say Tristus could go from egg to egg just like Aki's could um, probably in, like, eight to ten months. Wouldn't be a stretch. Um, <clears throat> now, overall size, Tristus do get bigger. Um 
I have my my I would say sub adult adult holdback pair. Uh, they're now in a four foot uh, by two foot enclosure, and then my my trio, my adult trio, are in a six foot enclosure. Um, everything else is the same. I provide in the six foot enclosure. I provide two basking areas um, on the ends because it and I put my nest box humidity area in the middle because with the two basking spots on the ends um, it hits that nice, you know, mid 80, 85 uh, degrees right in the middle there. And it seems to work out for me just fine. And then I, I throw in, um, I keep them on those cocoa chips uh, right now. And it's, it's not a plug for that. It just works for me. I can dump water in them the way that the cocoa chips soak up um, some moisture. I can dump water in the bottom and it keeps a certain level of humidity. They do have a pretty decent size uh, water dish um, in there. Um, I noticed that my Tristus, they don't drink when I spray them. They actually run when I spray them. They don't, they don't care for it too much. So I, how I choose to address their humidity needs is to make sure that um, I can go in every two, three days and just add a little water to their substrate, that cocoa blocks that, that soaks it up. And then they have an area. It's, it's a, I say nest box. It's a pretty decent nest box that they have in there. Um, there's a lot of room in there. All three of them could get in there together and dig around um, <clears throat> and have, you know, um, plenty of room. But um, I put a lot of stacks of larger pieces of oak bark that fallen trees around here. I'll let them dry out for a year or so. I'll peel off the bark and the larger pieces. Some some of it crumples. Those go in the baby cages. Um, <clears throat> but Tristus in their natural habitat, um, they will utilize trees. They'll utilize hollow logs. Um, uh, bark stacks uh, where they naturally fall. They live anywhere from like rock outcroppings to grasslands uh, to like the, the wooded areas. So uh, yeah. they're, they're a great monitor. When, when you have an idea that you want to set up a cage a certain way and then put an impressive looking animal in there, Tristus are great for that because their natural habitat spans so many different ranges you can get away with um, putting them in whatever you want, really. And you can take some artistic um, um, privileges, I guess, in setting them up and how you want to do it. And uh, it, you're you're gonna pretty you're gonna do pretty well matching, you know, some of their natural ranges in these areas. Um, but they are animals that will use height. Uh, they they are climbers. Um, they do not shy away from it at all. Uh, they're, they're curious animals. Um, my male's out almost all the time. My female that, uh, is cycling. She's, she's out about 50% of the time. The other female stays hidden and she kind of has herself on a different schedule. Now this is not necessarily specific to Tristus as much as I've noticed with trios. It's just sometimes how they, um, they position like themselves pets. to use the cage I've given them and they're out at different times and whatnot. Um, they don't all compete at the same time, but there's yeah. been other times where all three are stacked up on top of each other, you know, sitting under the basking spot, hanging out. Um, 
But I would say, you know, yes, you can get by with a single animal in a four foot enclosure. Uh, and you're not, the truth is you're not going to have a problem. Um, you can interact with that animal. You can, uh, once it's an adult and comfortable with you, you can add new furniture into that cage for stimulation and you can have a very happy, um, animal in that situation. But, um, I think a six foot enclosure is much more realistic for an animal to Trista size. Um, and then what I'm planning on doing actually is, um, very, very soon here, there's already some plans in the works is I want to set them up in a way where I'm guessing the cage is probably going to be around six by three by three. Um, when it's finally outfitted and done, that's going to provide them a ton of floor space. Uh, now I, I can get away with that because I don't have the restrictions of door size and whatnot, but, um, I'm going to take two of probably the holdbacks and the, uh, the trio that I have now, they're both going to be in these six foot by three foot cages. Um, one stacked on top of the other and just kind of what I've been talking about. I'm going to meet their needs with, uh, I'm going to aim for about 150 degree basking spot in two different areas. Um, they are going to have both a nest box, kind of like a built-in um, design that looks naturalistic. This is, I'm doing this all for me at this point. I'm going to have fun with the kids. We're going to mess around with uh, some of the products out there. Um, and they will also have um, an area where it's more whole cage substrate um, nesting. Um, <clears throat> they're going to have some vertical areas to get around in. Uh, and I, I just, I like the Tristis, man. I think they're cool. They have some goofy habits. Um, they're, they're active enough. They're impressive enough. They fit that nice gap between, I would say, the... Ackies and um, well, I, I would say the sand monitors in my experience, you know, but I, I guess um, for you, Coyote, it'd be right around the, the size of your adult Indicus too. You know, they're like that step for what we have available in the U S there's that step right between the Ackies and your midsize monitor. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so for people out there that are looking for something like that, you want something that's got some size to it. That's impressive. Um, but that's still manageable. Tristas are absolutely great. And um, I would not shy away from, you know, if if you have some, uh, we tend to think like Kimberly rocks, we got to put in the, uh, the Kimberly looking cage. Um, <clears throat> if you're going to do one up and Aki's, we got to put on uh, rocks somewhere like a rock outcropping to have a naturalistic looking cage, which isn't true. You could set them up as long as you meet their basics, kind of anything you wanted to. Um, but with the Tristus, yeah, you can really play off of, um, you know, what they'll actually use. Cause they're, they do, they use, uh, um, so much terrain over there that it's kind of sky's the limit. You can pick out your backgrounds, you can put your own little twists on things uh, and really probably see some cool behaviors from not only nesting and digging if you provide them large areas, um, but, you know, also climbing opportunities. And um, yeah, I, I think as 
as things progress, I think Tristis are going to catch on a lot more. Um, they're not as, I would say, I would still put it out there. They're not as like shockingly stunning as Kimberly rocks. Their, their qualities are a little more subtle, but then you will get those animals. And I've, I've been able to produce some now that have that really nice, like dark tail, black head, almost like the bluish uh, spots in the middle. Um, yeah, I, I, I would encourage you to check them out. If you haven't heard them before, check out the Tristus. Um, they're great, rewarding animals. They got some good size. And, uh, yeah, if, if you want to step up from Ackies and, uh, you know what? I think the truth is if you're, if you're getting into dwarf monitors, you're probably going to be looking Tristus at all. Tristus are okay, man. Tristus are, 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 I would say on the, on the line of still, a really manageable lizard. I think people would just have to, I would say, realize that they're not like Ackies. I mean, right. in, in a way, taking care of them is very similar, but um, I'd say that they're, you know, so much more faster than what people are used to. Like, people are kind of used to the, I wouldn't say they're exactly dopey, but, um, you know, they're, 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 Ackies aren't like fast and swift like the Tristus are. True. Yeah. So you'd, you'd have to really, you know, get that aware in your system, you know, within your setup and how you're going to be approaching them. It's not like a thing that you can just grab out and hold out in your hand in the open. A, an Aki, yeah, it's not going to be able to dart off that fast. And they're kind of more clunky, right? Yeah. But the Tristus, you would have to hold it out in the open in a bin. You know, that's. That's because you're trying to really – once it darts off, it's just going to go pew and take off on you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man. I just uh, – well, hope you guys enjoyed the the the, the Tristis talk, you know. Um, oh, yeah. We can definitely add more onto this if you guys happen to have any questions. Yeah, hit me up. Um, there's some good breeders out there for Tristis. Um, I'll plug them too because there's actually not that many people working with them. Um, Rare Earth, Brandon over there produces some fantastic animals, of course. Um, I believe Doug Price is still working with his group, but good luck trying to get a hold of him. <laughs> um, I, I'm working with some, and uh, there's uh, JCM Reptiles who you can yes, check out. Jonathan. Yep, and um, then I Ian from Boogie Down. I'd say I yep. or Ian um, Boogie Down Reptiles. He works with some and uh, produces some great animals as well. And there's a few other people uh, I expect that should be having their first round of clutches here very soon. Um, uh, Matt Kosman, I'm guessing he's going to get it going here real soon. Um, he's got some great looking animals. So, yeah, get out there, check them out. Um, they go fast, I will say that. So if you're interested in them, reach out to people and try to maybe get on a list if you can because they do go quick. Um, yeah. And I've had some people get upset because as they're talking about wanting, figuring it out, it's like another person they're came selling. in. And, yeah, I was like, okay, I'll take them. And uh, <laughs> yeah, happens. Um, but okay, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Um Kai, you got anything last minute that you want to throw out there? Uh, no, I would really appreciate your guys' uh, feedback. Um, I get like probably messages every day or uh, several times a week. Um, and you guys are giving us, 
I mean, shoot, what we love to hear. Um, mm -hmm. I guess what we want is if you guys happen to have any questions regarding um, your current animals or if you're having issues or things like that, we can either have you on or we can have uh, you just send us questions and we'll basically read them off like a questionnaire type deal. Yeah. All right, you guys, thank you very much for tuning in and everything like that. Yeah. And guys, check out uh, NPR, uh, Morelli Python Radio Network. Check out the different podcasts they have available. I've been really digging. Uh, like I said, NPR, they, <clears throat> they just had Mike on talking monitors, which is great. Um, Reptile Fight Club, I've been having a blast listening to, um, kind of talking about some of the politics in the hobby and whatnot. Uh, I never miss an episode of Carpets and Coffee. My good buddy uh, Riley and Lucas over there and Eric uh, putting out some great material. And it's fun just... You know, you get into these guys' personalities and what they're doing a little bit. It's fine. It's fun to kind of hang out and, and take part in other reptile people. Um, and there's a few other ones out there. So check them out. Um, go on to their page if you want to support them. There's a Patreon you can find. And then, of course, support U.S. Ark. If you haven't heard of them before, they protect our rights to keep these amazing animals. So the more that uh, we can assist them and helping us, the, the better it's going to be for our future uh, and keeping these these wonderful pets. So, all right, we'll wrap it up. Kyle, I'll talk to you soon. All right, you guys, have a good one. Thank you guys for tuning in.